Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Lou Figaro. And welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice. This episode, we're joined by a first-time guest co-pilot and fellow podcaster. From the Shout It Out Loudcast, Tom Gelati is here. Tom, welcome to the R4 Podcast. Thank you guys so much. Lou, Aaron, this is awesome. Very excited to be here. Thank you. Love your show. Happy to be part of it tonight. We're excited to have you. Awesome. Oh, I got the sound effects. All right. Thank you, Lou. There he is. Got it. So on this episode, we're going to review Bad Company's 1974 self-titled debut album. So, Tom, where do you come in with Bad Company in the first album? All right. So we talk about this a lot on our album review crew episodes that we do monthly. Um, I had an older sister, four years older. I was born in 73. So we grew up listening to all kinds of music, constantly music, spending time at record stores, listening to the radio when MTV came in. Uh, My parents listened to music all the time. So I got into Bad Company primarily through my older sister, and it was through rock radio. And my introduction to Bad Company was 10 from 6, the, the greatest hits collection, which I was obsessed with. And to this day, I still love it. And then, of course, you know, when you get a greatest hits album, if you enjoy what you're hearing, sometimes it'll cause you to kind of explore the studio albums, which is what I did. And, you know, I was younger and it's funny when, you know, Zeus and I, my, my partner from Shout It Out Loudcast, we talk about how generations are so different, you know, and I'm 10 years old listening to Bad Company when my son was 10, you know, what the hell was he listening to, if anything? So I went back to the beginning and and I pulled out the, the Bad Company, uh, the debut and I mean, half of this is on 10 from six because it's pretty much a greatest hits album. It's only eight tracks. Uh, but even some of the deeper cuts, some of the songs I weren't familiar that we're going to talk about, it just, it just really hit me as just really classic rock, but Paul Rogers just adds something extra special to me vocally. That is really, really unique, you know, cause you have a, you have this so much seventies classic rock that you can talk about. You know, everybody talks about Boston, Steve Miller band for, and, and rightly so. But Bad Company, to me, just doesn't seem to get that kind of respect that they deserve. And I, I really think there's something special. They've always been a favorite of mine. All right. Lou. Yeah, I have no idea how Bad Company sneaked into my record collection, but there they all are. This one, Desolation Angels, um, Straight mm-hmm. Shooter. I've had them forever, too. Um, I, I never saw them live. I never knew that they were a super group. I'd never got into any of the the bands that they all came from either Mott or um, free. I actually went on a deep dive while I was researching this album with free. And um, I'm glad he switched guitar players <laughs> uh, free and Mott the Hoople were like one hit wonders to me. I did free had all right now. And Mott had all young dudes and I like the way Bowie did it better. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Mm hmm. Bad Company first appeared on my radar sometime in the mid-80s. I mean, well after the original group had broken up, I probably heard a few other tunes on the radio prior to that, but I'm not sure. I can't remember specifically. But what I do know is that my father liked them. Though, I mean, he didn't have this on vinyl or anything, so I didn't hear this as a little kid like I did with a lot of the music I grew up with. But he got this year album on cassette. I think it was 1983 or 84. And he was telling me about them. I, I don't even think he was aware of the Led Zeppelin connection with them either. And I know he didn't like know the names of the band members. He was, I was, I get obsessive like that. I want to know who played on it, who produced it, who did all, he wasn't that kind of guy. He just wanted to listen to the music. 
So he puts the tape in the deck, and as soon as he hits play, you know, I hear that, da, 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 da. I'm like, okay, yeah, now we're talking. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting this on CD for myself in the early 90s, and that's basically where I start with this band. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record, and yeah, I'm using Wikipedia again. Want to make something of it? <laughs> Bad Company is a self-titled debut studio album by English hard rock supergroup Bad Company, released on June 15, 1974 on Island Records in the UK and Swan Song Records in the US. It was produced by Bad Company and was recorded in November 1973 at Headley Grange, East Hampshire, England. It reached number three on the UK albums chart and number one on the US Billboard 200 chart and is certified gold by the BPI and five times platinum by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We have Paul Rogers on vocals, rhythm and acoustic guitars, piano and tambourine. Mick Ralphs on lead guitar and keyboards. Boz Burrell on bass and Simon Kirk on drums. There are additional musicians, which we'll mention as we see fit. All right, let's get into a track-by-track analysis of this album. We open things up with Can't Get Enough, written by Mick Ralphs. Well, I'll take whatever I want And baby, I want you You give me something I need Now tell me I got something Tom, what do you think? First of all, any album or song that starts off with a count, with the with the with the counting, and then it just kicks right into what a what a fantastic groove, the riff right off the bat, you know that you're in for something special. And you know, I'll start off by saying this in general, specifically about the song, but generally with with this album, you know, they're not doing anything terribly different or new on this song. But again, I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to kind of beat this. Paul Rogers just really, his voice is himself is, is an instrument, I think. He really adds something to what most people might just call cookie-cutter classic rock. I think the soulfulness of his voice, the range that he has, the way that he can hit those chorus notes, uh, it, it's a really awesome song. It's upbeat, classic guitar rock, but his vocals just... Give it a little something extra where if it was done by another band, you might be like, "Ah, it's a pretty good song. To me, it's a great song. Lou? Yeah, I agree. It's got it all. Um, The count off, the kablap drum intro, kablap, bam, the power riff, the strutting singer, and the bendy solo, and the big finish. It's got everything. I think when the world ends and there's no more people on a desolate planet, and it's just piles of technology just slowly being overgrown by weeds there there's going to be a pile of garbage old toasters cars appliances <laughs> and i could see an alien culture traveling through space landing on this wrecked and demolished earth and knocking over a pile of rubble and exposing a boombox with just enough juice in the batteries to sputter out something and it's this fucking song <laughs> <laughs> it's like a cockroach it's never gonna die this and you shook me all night long. Great track, though. Nice. A plus. 
To me, this is the perfect example of straightforward meat and potato 70s hard rock. Like we, like we said, Simon Kirk counts it in and bashes away on a thumping shuffle beat. But he does subtle things that are cool, like the cymbal strikes in the pre-chorus that accent the beat and catch my ear. Come on, psh, come on, psh. I love that shit. It just catches my ear. Mick Ralphs brings the tough open C guitar riffs and wailing double track solos that are the hallmarks of the song. Boz Burrell holds down the bottom end and occasionally walks the bass in spots so you hear some rhythmic counterpoint. And then, of course, Paul Rogers. He was one of England's premier rock vocalists at the time. I was trying to think of the best way to describe his voice. It's powerful without being overpowering. It's smooth and yet smoky. It doesn't have like the pure tone of, say, like a Freddie Mercury. But it doesn't have the rasp of a Rod Stewart either. It kind of sits in the middle somewhere in a place all his own. His lower register is expressive and distinctive. And he still has the power to grab the higher notes with balls. I mean, there is some leather in his lungs. Rogers also plays rhythm guitar on this track. So, you know, he's really involved in this. There's no mystery to these lyrics. Rogers wants your love and he takes what he wants. So don't hang him up. You know what's going to happen. Come on and do it already. <laughs> the band's not fucking around. It's an in-your-face opener. And it's probably Bad Company's best-known track, or at least one of them for sure. And it was the first single from the album that reached number 15 on the UK singles chart and number five on the US Billboard Hot 100 chart. The next track is Rock Steady, written by Paul Rogers. your thoughts yeah funky roadhouse groove it's got a skinnered feel to it almost if you gave skinnered some quaaludes <laughs> paul rogers has a rod stewart rasp we were just talking about this it's it's the stewart rasp and swagger i dig the backup singers too mick ralph's solo just simmers never boils but that's good i appreciate the proper ending where they could have cheaply faded out too great tune tom this particular song has always been at the top of the list for me with Bad Company. Right off the bat, when they when it kicks in, there is so much percussion going on in the background. So much, so much with the with the tambourines, is other stuff going on, and it has one of the most ballsiest swagger type grooves. The bass line in this song, you can't help but just. It sounds like it should be in a movie. It, it's such an infectious groove to this song. We're talking about his gravelly voice. It, you, it, it shines here too. And uh, Lou, you mentioned th that those background vocals and that after that second verse just kind of gives you a little bit of a little punch right there uh, and a nice solo. This to me is, you know, we talked about can't get enough and how you know, classic guitar rock, meat and potatoes, but rock steady is a, is a unique song that I don't know if many bands could kind of pull it off the way that bad company does. And again, Paul Rogers, really contributes to this. It's a great, great tune. Yeah, it's a mid-tempo rocker based around a hard, bluesy guitar lick that's aped by the bass and an insistent beat that features prominent cowbell, baby. The chorus section gradually ascends and builds the tension until Rogers yells out, Rock steady! and releases it as the song resets itself. 
Ralph's choice solos full of bluesy bends, and Rogers sings with some urgency, especially during the chorus. He lets in some grit, like there is a little bit of Rod Stewart in there, I guess, as he tells his baby he's got to get his mind ready to let himself go with the flow of the music and fuck, I mean rock, steady, (laughs) because who knows what could happen if he rocks too heavy. He might blow his wad too early. No one wants to hear about Paul Rogers' two-pump chump. (laughs) <laughs> this is a solid follow-up track to Can't Get Enough, and I heard this on the radio on occasion back in the day. This is one of the ones that are in steady rotation for Bad Company. The following track is Ready for Love, written by Mick Ralphs. Tom, lead us off. Again, we talk about track listing a lot on our show, whether we're talking about Kiss albums or, you know, we do our bonus album review crew. You know, you got Can't Get Enough, the straight ahead rocker. You got Rock Steady, the really, the, the, the real groove swagger. Then you got Ready for Love. The band is showing you three different ways that they can capture you. And I love this because this particular song showcases kind of the moody, soulful tone that Rogers has. And that piano in the background really gives it a vibe of a little bit of mystery. Maybe there's a little bit of heartbreak that he's singing about, something that's missing in his life. And there's a piano solo. I mean, this is a guitar band, and they give you a piano solo. And when that piano solo begins, you could you you feel like you're in like a like a smoky lounge or some kind of some kind of setting where there's just some kind of mood going on and, and Rogers is just singing his heart out here. It's a, it's a standout track. And this is why I love bad company, three different songs, three different kinds of songs. Lou. I like butt wheats version better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for love. Oh baby. I'm waiting for love. Waiting for love. I hate ballads, especially ones that can be played by shitty prom bands. You know, while a disco ball shines and rotates up top to gym floor while you're feeling up Betty Lou. <laughs> but I love this one. It's a great shower singer song. You know, those <laughs> damp tile walls just really let you wail. This is how to do it, boys. <laughs> it really shines on Paul Rogers' vocals. I agree. Mm. You could really feel the room and it's recording. I mean, like nothing's processed. It's, it's what it sounded like to hear them there. So many records around this time had the life sucked out of them. And um, mixed guitar, I think, has the perfect amount of like hair on it to sound live and not defanged. The drums, too. You can, you can almost hear that, like, that they were recorded on a wood floor. I, it, it's the only way I could describe it, um, if that makes sense. The slide behind, behind that, for no, you know, kind of just... <laughs> triggers the synesthesia on my on my arms it's it's the hair stand up the long fade out is welcomed here it's it's Mm. just a a logic defying song for me and the only way that i can explain it is that it was first so three for three the verses have a quiet simmer to them the beats kind of laid back and burrell's bass lines melodic and reaches for higher notes at times 
There's some complimentary piano, including a mellowed out piano solo that you mentioned, Tom, that just keeps the song on the softer side, along with some background organ trills that kind of swell up during the chorus and it punctuates Roger's vocals. Now, speaking of Rogers, he once again stays reserved in the verses and his voice gains more power through the ooh pre-choruses and the choruses, where he sounds like he's pleading. Lyrically, our boy's telling his woman that, sure, the road's been rocky and there were some tough times in the past, but he's learned his lesson and now he's ready. He's paid his dues. He's ready for the relationship. He's ready for love. Just give him a shot. This wasn't a single, but this was another song they played on rock radio. I know I heard this and I dig it. The next track is Don't Let Me Down, written by Paul Rogers and Mick Ralphs. Lou, what do you say? It almost sounds like they were going to cover the Beatles with that first chord, but then you're you're treated to this gem. Love the chord progression behind the verse too. It's more gospel than than rock. Then the soaring chorus sounds like Mr. Rogers spent some time in a southern church somewhere. The choral backups work. The sax solo is just what it needed. And uh, I love how Mick comes out of it on the same note as the sax finishes on that solo. It's great. And just as I thought they were going to fade out, they break it down and bring it home. Well done, guys. Well done. Tom. Yeah, I'm going to echo a lot of what Lou said here. Uh, You know, a gospel style type of ballad. And, you know, I keep saying it, but I feel like this is a song where if somebody with a different type of vocal delivery was doing it, probably could have kind of messed it up. Not that it's not a great song, but Rogers' style and that, that, that soulful tone when he's singing the verses and then when he has that real, that rising chorus. Um, the, again, the piano, I love the piano, what it adds to it. I love piano to begin with. A sax solo that goes right into a guitar solo. I mean, come on. I mean, they, they just keep giving us gifts with these songs. To me, I feel like this could have been Maybe like an Elton John song. Elton's one of my all-time favorite artists. Love Elton. I feel like if you gave this to Elton, he could have taken it just as is or maybe tweaked it a little bit and turned it into something like that. But um, again, we're four for four right now, so Bad Company's cruising for me. Tom, Lou and I are like the two biggest Elton John fans on planet Earth, so you're you're in good company there. Maybe I'll come back sometime. We'll do an Elton album. Yeah, we did. uh, We did a whole show about us picking Elton albums and and things like that. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Huge Elton fans. Great. And now the boys in Bad Company take us to church on a slow paced gospel tinged number with Kirk's drum roll fills. Rogers playing plonking gospel runs on piano and big backing vocals from Sue Glover and Sonny Leslie a British sister singing duo that did a lot of session work as well as recording their own singles as the Mertels and Sue and Sonny. They were also members of the pop group Brotherhood of Man. I didn't know any of this music. I I listened to it in preparation for this podcast. It sounds like, you know, 60s, 70s girl stuff. (laughs) 
We get two solos on this. The first is a jazzy saxophone spot by Mel Collins, a cat who played sax with just about everybody back in the day. And Rouse follows up with a crying solo that rings the emotion from this tune. The lyrics are more of Rogers pleading for a real love, a true love. He wants more from her than what she's given him so far. He wants the real thing. The cool final chorus slash outro section builds up to a crescendo with pounding drums and the gospel-esque backing vocals more up front in the mix until it drops down and lets go dramatically to close it out. Yeah, this is good stuff. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on the title track and the band's theme song, Bad Company, written by Paul Rogers and Simon Kirk. like this one tom oh my goodness first of all a band that has a song named after them i mean you got black sabbath you got bad company i mean come on the intro to this song you feel like you're in a western which there are stories about whether the band was named after the 1972 jeff bridges movie bad company that some people claim that is a, a, a you know an urban legend or, or not there's other stories about where the band name came from but, uh, you know, it starts off very, very moody. The groove kicks in, and then you got a killer mid-tempo rock song. Great chorus, bad company, till the day I die. Then it pulls back, and then you have the verses where it's kind of pretty somber, kind of quiet. Um, another great solo. The thing that sticks out on this to me is the bass line in this one. I love the driving bass in this one. But bad company, great tune, always been a go-to track for me. Lou. Yeah, it's another great shower song, isn't it? <laughs> great with that that shower reverb. I could see Bob Seeger doing something like this too. Yes. Singer at the piano, you know, steamy intro and the band crashing in in the chorus only to like disappear back into the fog for the verses. Six gun sound. <laughs> Love Got that. all the yeah. cliches of a mid seventies arena rock staple hit. And and it totally works. It doesn't seem contrived. They're ripped off. It's just real. And that's what this band is. This is the well that everybody dipped from. And it's another essential track for the, the Bad Co. playlist. Yeah, it starts with that ominous sounding piano played by Rogers, as well as Ralph's eerie volume swells that you just imitated, Lou. And Kirk's cymbal washes. It sets a dark mood that runs throughout the track. The piano means a constant presence, like it's like it's riding with you the whole time. Rogers sounds like he's making a declaration as he starts to sing of a group of six-gun armed rebel deserters on the run from the authorities, I guess. Who exactly these people are is up for interpretation. The vibe of the track always made me think of a gang of outlaws from the Old West too, Tom. But this is a British band, so I'm not sure exactly what they're referencing. At any rate, they play dirty and will stay a bad company until the day they die. And then with the chorus, the guitars slam in and the song turns into a grinding hard rocker with heroically catchy vocals from Rogers. Ralphs turns in another fine bluesy solo and throws in more cool volume swells and lead licks as the song winds down and Rogers grouses about a double cross. 
This is yet another well-known signature track from this band. It also was the third and final single that did not chart. What the fuck? Wow. The following track is The Way I Choose, written by Paul Rogers. I live my life the way that I choose. I'm satisfied. Nothing. Lou, what about this? Here's a deep cut you don't really hear on the radio. And um, it's one I didn't really immediately recognize either. It's got a Sam Cooke kind of I've been loving you too long influence in there with the horns. But that that's just about where it ends, though. It's got this slow simmer. It sounds like it, it goes on for much longer live, too. But then it fades out and seals its fate as uh, my lose obligatory skipper on every record. <laughs> loser <laughs> Tom yeah the deepest of the deep cuts here uh, you know you, you're going to find the diehard fans you know knowing this one Roger's voice in this particular song it's it, it's another it's another instrument the band is keeping a painfully painfully slow groove in a good way you know the horns I love it kind of as soon as those horns kick in it gives me it, it sounds like something you'd hear in a Van Morrison song the, the tone of the, of those horns I'm not going to say that it's a skipper because I just enjoy the sound of this band. I enjoy the sound of Rogers' vocals. Uh, but what Lou said earlier about the previous song, nothing that they do is contrived on this album. Even if you don't like this particular song or any song on this album, it's believable. It doesn't seem like it's forced, fake, or phony. They're doing it for real. It's believable. And you and you believe everything that Rogers is singing. Uh, very emotional song. I think it's an, it's an interesting choice for them to do, but... I, I do like it. Now we slow it down on an easygoing waltz with lightly distorted and arpeggiated guitars, background organ, and cool jazz saxophone fills and solo done by Mel Collins, who has twice been a member of King Crimson and played session work on countless records. There's a lot of open space for Rogers to wail in, and he turns in a solid performance, if not a knockout. Lyrically, he lives life the way he wants to, and he says he's satisfied with it. He's willing to accept love from his baby and give it back exclusively, but he ends up asking her not to leave. So what's really going on? Just how satisfied are you, Paul? There's nothing wrong with this track. It cools everything off, but it's a little bland in my ears, and it is my least favorite. So that means it's Aaron's Stinky Stinker. (laughs) The penultimate track is Moving On, written by Mick Ralphs. you like this one this has everything you want in classic guitar rock that opening those opening notes to me sounds like something off of the don't look back 
Boston album. As soon as those that opening, the, the tone of those guitars, whatever they're doing, it sounds like a Boston song. Kicks right into gear. Reminds me of something that Bob Seger could do, Skinner could do. A toe-tapping beat, the tempo of the drums, what they're doing. And the little fills after each line of the verses, you got a little bit of something extra coming in there with the drums. And who doesn't love a whoa, whoa, whoa when the band kicks into that <laughs> vocally? You know, it's great. Nice solo. To me, this is like, this is classic rock staple. And, I, you know, I'll say it again. I know I've already said it a few times. If another band did this, you'd be like, yeah, it's pretty good, but it's bad company doing it. So for me personally, it's a standout track. This song's a hit for a reason. Lou. Yeah, back to real old school rock and roll, too. It's got a real Rod Stewart feel to it, a free feel to it. Um, again, the production is perfect, and the producers today should give this album a hard listen to how to mix a fucking rock track. There's space between the sounds, and the whole thing sounds live. I don't know whether they tracked this that way or they were just really good at making it sound that way, but all these guys sound like they were in the same room looking at each other when they recorded this remember that goosebump feeling from ready for love it's back again right right at that breakdown before the ending um i love this tune too Mm -hmm. this was first released as a single in 1972 by english blues rock group hackensack and that version is a muddy bluesy stomp Bad Company speed up the tempo and sharpen the edges, making it less heavy than the original, but harder rocking. Kirk bashes that 4-4 on his drum kit while Burrell's bass is a highlight, continually walking up and down and giving the song a shot of boogie rhythm. Ralphs keeps the riffs hard and chunky and throws in some wah-wah on the bluesy solo. It fits the vibe of the track just right. These lyrics are pretty self-explanatory. The narrator's on the go. He's a working musician, always traveling to the next town to play the next gig. Rogers belts out the vocals with his controlled phrasing, and I dig the I also dig the whoa, whoa, wordless vocal hook. This track is absolute aces. It was played a ton on rock radio, and it was the second single that reached number 19 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. And that brings us to the final track, Seagull, written by Paul Rogers and Mick Ralphs. Seagull, you must have known for a long time The shape of things to come Now you fly through the sky Never asking why And you fly all around Till somebody shoots Lou, how about this last one? Well, this sounds like Paul and Mick with acoustics, um, just sitting in a room. It's The sound just surrounds you, too, if you have headphones on. The vocals are wet with reverbs, and that slight phase shift that they have on them, and you know, while it's in headphones, just kind of makes your head whir. I wish there was more of that ascending scale at the ending of the song, you know, like in the song itself, it would have just made it a bit more interesting. And if it was just a little shorter, it would have made just a better outro for this great, great album. Tom. Yeah. Lou said it, the, 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 the production on this in general is just outstanding, but on this, the, the, the acoustic guitars on this just really pop. Uh, it, it sounds fantastic. Uh, it's a pretty song. Uh, it's an interesting way to end the album. It's funny, though, because he's talking about a seagull 
as if it's this majestic animal, like it's an eagle or a falcon. And I got to <laughs> tell you, as a side story here, I grew up in New England, going to the beaches in New Hampshire and Maine. Uh, you know, yeah, Jersey, they lose. Seagulls are not something we sing about. Like, the, like <laughs> so I don't, I, I, I don't know if Paul Rogers is familiar with what a seagull really is because he's, you know, oh, you fly in the sky. Like, it's like this wonderful, you know, song <laughs> to a to a seagull. It's just, it made me laugh. But you know, all jokes aside, it's a it's a very well crafted acoustic tune. Very well done. Yeah, you haven't lived till you've been dive bombed by a seagull coming after your French fries. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> yep. crazy. Yep. Musically, it's simply Rogers and Ralphs on acoustic guitars. Some understated bass added about two thirds of the way in, and Rogers singing out like a folky balladeer. Now, I love me my '70s singer songwriters, and this comes across like something like Paul Simon, Cat Stevens, or Gordon Lightfoot, especially, would come up with. Roger's voice carries the plain but affecting melody and floats over the guitars like the bird of the song title. Roger said he wrote the lyrics on a beach trying to capture an atmosphere, and the words seem to be about a man who's experiencing some kind of trouble or pain. Is this really the end of the world? And he observes the seagull flying around free today and tomorrow until somebody shoots it down. But I like to think that bird gets away and soars through the sky unfettered because Lord knows that bird you cannot change. <laughs> I like this even though sonically it doesn't fit with the rest of the album, so it has to be the closer. It can't go anywhere else. Now that the track by track is done, we'll give our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which got shot down with a fucking seagull. Tom, what are your final thoughts on Bad Company's debut? To me, it's one of the great debut albums that people never talk about. Whenever you have those conversations about rock debut albums, of course, you get the standards. You know, you get Zeppelin 1, Van Halen, Boston, and they all deserve that praise. And I'm not going to say that Bad Company is better than those. I'm just saying that Bad Company deserves to be in a conversation. I'm here to wave the flag for Bad Company, which is why when we talked about doing an album, I wanted to do a Bad Co. album. Uh, I love this album. It gives you everything you want in classic rock. It gives you the rockers, you know, the moving ons, the can't get enoughs. It gives you the moody songs, the rock steadies, bad companies. You get an acoustic song, only eight tracks. I wish there was more. Of course, so that I could stay on the show longer with you guys and talk about more. <laughs> but, you know, I, I love this album. I love bad company. It's a standout, spectacular album. However, Seagull is a little eh to me. So, I can't give it the perfect five. I'm going to give it four and a half. If I can give it, if I have halves, if halves count, I'm going to give it a four and a half. I got to give it a little notch down just because Seagull is a little ah for me. Yeah, you can half it all you want. No problem. Four and a half for me. All right. Lou. I always considered Bad Company a radio band. I never really explored the deep cuts or the albums as albums. Any records that I had of theirs kind of just served to play me their hits alone uh it was never an album that i put on from start to finish uh it's more something that i went for to like complete a mixtape or something or just to play myself one of the hits if i you know i wanted to hear moving on or something listening to from cover to cover i was something i did very rarely and doing so i've come to rate it a four and i appreciate that you made me put it back on again as a whole album because uh, it's a great solid record that deserves its ubiquitous place in almost everyone in my demographics record collection, as well as a few others. 
Bad Company was formed in Albury, Surrey, England in 1973 by singer Paul Rogers and drummer Simon Kirk from the band Free, guitarist Mick Ralphs, who was an original member of Mott the Hoople, and bassist Boz Burrell from King Crimson, forming what was a true rock supergroup. The band name came from a book of Victorian morals that showed a picture of a child gazing up at a shady-looking character leaning against a lamppost with a caption reading, Beware of Bad Company. That was according to Paul Rogers. Yep, I heard that story as well, too. That's why I kind of threw in the other one about the movie, but I did hear that as well. Yeah, well, it kind of stands to reason the movie with the way that that the song sounds. Exactly, right. The band signed to Led Zeppelin's Swan Song Records and were managed by legendary Zeppelin manager Peter Grant until 1982, when the group broke up for the first time. The debut album was recorded at Headley Grange, a house in Hampshire, England, famous for being a recording location for acts like Zeppelin and Genesis, using Ronnie Lane's mobile studio in November 73 and would become the first album released on the Swan Song label in June 1974. The album cover was designed by famed English art design group Hypnosis and depicted a slanted, silvery wording of Bad Co. against a black background. When it was released, the record was well-received by critics and fans and kicked off a long and successful career for Bad Company, which included numerous successful albums and tours as well as numerous breakups and lineup changes. The band still exists today and tours with only two original members, Rogers and Kirk. I've always dug this album since my dad first brought home that cassette tape and played it on the house stereo system so long ago. I own this in the follow-up Straight Shooter, but past that, I don't know the rest of the Bad Company catalog very well. To me, this album is a perfect example of no-frills 70s hard rock. There's nothing fancy, no bells and whistles, just good riffs, solid playing, strong songwriting, and memorable melodies. Hell, half of this album gets tons of airplay on classic rock radio over the years. I cannot imagine a fan of 70s rock not knowing these tunes. I give Bad Company's debut album a four, and this is the kind of rocking I grew up with and loved, and I'm still drawn to it to this day. Bad Company, good music. And from the R4 podcast, Raymond Boz Burrell. Rest in peace. Now we'd like to thank the great Tom Gelati from Shout It Out Loudcast for coming on the show and hanging with some bad company. I hope you had a good time, man. Guys, this has been amazing. I'm so glad you, you asked me to come on and pick a great album that I love. Um, Lou, Aaron, you guys are great. I love the show. Uh, I just wish next time I'll pick an album that has more than eight songs so we can spend some more time together. <laughs> of, of course, I pick a short album, uh, but thank you so much. This is a blast, and uh, you know I, I look forward to hopefully being invited back on to, to talk about some more great music. So thank you, Lou and Aaron. Appreciate it. Absolutely, of course. Go ahead and plug your podcast and anything else you got going on that people need to know about. Yeah, so uh, myself and uh, my buddy Zeus, my longtime college friend, we have Shout It Out Loudcast. We are an all-kiss podcast. We drop new episodes every Saturday, and then we do uh, what we call our album review crew with Sonny Pooney, and we do once a month uh, non-kiss albums. Uh, our most recent one we just did was Guns N' Roses' Use Your Illusion 2. Uh, check us out. We're all over social media and uh, our website, shoutoutloudcast.com. Give us a listen. Uh, we have a great time. We always have a ton of fun on all of our episodes, kiss or otherwise, so check us out. Yeah, and I just want to say I discovered you guys. We talked about this earlier before we went on the air, but... You know, I discovered you guys early in your run, like three or four episodes in. And I'll tell you what, I, I heard the Boston accents. I'm like, oh, man, this is going <laughs> to be something. You guys are hilarious. You're irreverent. You love Kiss, but you're not afraid to bash them. 
you take care of your listeners every at the beginning of every show you you talk about them and you know the twitter and facebook i mean you 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 really do a bang up job over there and i'm a huge fan you have become my favorite kiss podcast and everybody who knows me knows what a fan i am of kiss so yeah that's 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 a big deal so thank you so much aaron that yeah. really means a lot i appreciate that very much thank you absolutely thank you and that's going to do it for this episode you can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. And I'm Lou. See ya. Paul Rogers, Tupac Chump. <laughs> Waity Penub. You get fucked up when you record, Tom? Never. I don't either. And I don't understand. Like, I go on with, like, the Pirate and the Hell guys. They're sloshed. Oh, my God. Their, you can hear it in their voices and everything. Like, I couldn't I couldn't do it. I couldn't by keep track of By the end of that show, there's a reason why the show's are like, ah, <laughs> I love Ricky Fox. Yeah. <laughs> you admit Lou, Lou never gets messed up either. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Nope. Ralph keeps the riffs hard and chunky and throws in some wah-wah on the bluesy solo. It fits the vibe of the track just right. The Don't you start with me, woman. God damn it. <laughs> Leave that in. Don't edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what I need right now. <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck I just said. Right, I'm going to go back to Ralph's. Ralph keeps the riffs hard and chunky and throws in some wah-wah on the bluesy solo. It fits the vibe of the track just right. Holy shit. We've been trying to get reach you for your car insurance. <laughs> <laughs>